0: Just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with the woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that ever I did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile... I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps." I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is God's word. We've been talking for the past few weeks as we prepare to go to this new location about the vision, mission, the core values, uh, the purpose, why Christ, uh, Christ the King, our church, exists. Uh, I was asked by one of my professors, uh, I told you uh, early on in the series, uh, he asked me point blank, why, do you, why are you in El Paso? Aren't there enough churches there already? And of course, there's more than enough churches. The problem is... Uh, We don't often know what we're doing. We just kind of go with the flow and and end up reacting to many things rather than being proactive. But our church has a purpose. It has a mission, a vision statement. And you can see all those online. I don't want to take time to, to go over them again. But as we conclude today, I want to read for you our mission statement. What is the mission of Christ the King? This has not changed since I've been here for almost 13 years, other than we've tweaked the words a little bit, but the meaning has remained the same. Christ the King will achieve her vision by winsomely evangelizing the lost, intentionally making mature and equipped believers, and aggressively sending workers into the harvest fields through missions, church planting, and Christian education. Our uh, brothers and sisters here at the Christ the King and in El Paso who are in the military know what it is to execute, to be given a mission and to have to execute that mission. They're very generally very specific. And if you work for a company or for uh, a corporation of some kind, you know that they often have a mission. They give their departments and people in the company a very specific vision and mission of what they're to accomplish and the most successful companies the most successful uh, military endeavors uh, the most successful churches are churches that have a well-defined mission uh, and vision and purpose for what they're doing they have it very it's very crisp and we have that too and some of it we do very well for a small church of a hundred people or so We do very well. There are other parts of it we don't do well, and I talked about that a couple of weeks ago. But as we move, we can't lose sight of that mission. We can't get discouraged over the things we don't do well and say, oh, well, we'll just give up. And we don't want to have undue kinds of pride that would make us sit back and have some sort of malaise and say, well, you know, we've done this pretty good. We'll just keep doing whatever we're doing. We always have to be renewing. Always moving forward. Going into uncharted territory. When you look at the ministry of Jesus and His apostles, and particularly the Apostle Paul, they took enormous risks. They went places. They pushed the envelope. The fact that Jesus even spoke to this Samaritan woman was nothing short of scandalous. If it happened today in the PCA, in our own denomination, Jesus would have been brought up on charges. He took a great risk speaking with this woman, and yet the results are magnificent, and I I don't want to go over all of those things, but three parts of our mission statement are evangelism, discipleship, and today we're going to talk about sending. Evangelism is generally known, and I think this is true, of taking people from non-faith to faith. People who either don't have a faith or are of another faith or perhaps have lost their faith, which unfortunately a lot of Christians get beat up in church, and they end up leaving the church and their life doesn't get any better, and so they'll try to circle around the church and see if they can find their way back in. And churches are very harsh, very critical. You know, if you leave the church, you have a black mark on your life. And Jesus was not that way. He recognized the brokenness of people around Him. He understood that we get beat up. Sometimes in the, in the what's supposed to be the safest place, churches, we often get beat up. And Christ the King is a place where you are welcome. If you have stains in your life, join the club. Because we all have those stains. Some of you hide them very well. I, unfortunately, have to get up here and talk about mine every week which is no fun. But we all have those stains. We've all been hurt. We've all been wounded. And He asks us to come. Sometimes non-faith to faith. People that are outside, we bring them in. Discipleship then is once you come into the church, you can't just sit there and warm the chair. You have to grow. You have to mature. That's what discipleship is about. It is making people into mature and equipped believers so that you're not afraid to engage the world and engage the culture, Christians make uh, it's on a continuum. We talked about this for many weeks. On the one end are people who cloister, hunker, and bunker. They withdraw from the world. They go into little tiny clam and they peek out, see if everything's safe, you know, and then they scurry to the store, to church, and then back real quick to home because they don't want to get polluted by the world. And then there are other people in the church who they just embrace everything. Everything's okay. And Jesus never said to do either one of those. He said to do something completely different. Be utterly and completely different than the world. Remarkably different. But at the same time, love your world. Love the people around you, especially those different than you. Especially Democrats. You see, in our circles, to be, you know, political alignment often defines who we are rather than our Christianity. And we're very comfortable with people who are like us. Same color, same socioeconomic love. If you make the same, about approximately the same amount of money, you drive the same kind of, you know, nice cars. You know, if somebody comes into church and has a bone in their nose, oh my goodness, we're not even sure if they're a Christian. And what what we need to see around us are people that are not like us. Because there was a time, listen folks, when you walked into a church, now maybe that's not true for everybody, but there was a time when you walked into the church and you were the person with the bone in your nose. And everybody knew it. And some people accepted you, some didn't. But Jesus Christ brought you there and rejoiced that you were there at the well where He could find you. So that's making a mature and equipped believer, making disciples, teaching them. And finally today, looking, we're going to look at sending. This is after you've been equipped, and equipping doesn't take a lot of time. You know, the, the def- a friend of mine in Orlando told me that The best definition for discipleship is someone who takes 100% of what they know and uses it 100%. So you may only know a couple things. Maybe you know, I was blind, now I see. Maybe that's all you know. But you actually take that proposition, that principle of being blind and now seeing, and you go out and you put it to work. And you actually go and engage the culture around you with that one thing. I was blind, But now I see, you are a disciple. You are mature and equipped. Well, haven't read the Institutes of the Christian Religion. Well, not even Calvin read the Institutes for the Christian Religion. It was too tedious. He wrote it and then he gave it to us so that we could suffer. (laughs) I mean, come on folks, you don't have to be a student of theology in order to be a good disciple. You just have to take what you know and use what you know. And trust the Lord for the results. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Workers who are sent into the harvest field, engaging the world and the culture around us. In Matthew 28, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, therefore go. When we think about sending, we generally think about missionaries of some kind or another, or professional clergy, like me. And, and church boards will go out and try to hire you know, a hired gun, only without the gun, which I'm opposed to. I think pastors should all be armed. And not against the world, against their congregation. You know, there's dangerous out there. It's a minefield. And so, to, 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 be, to go out and hire a professional holy person, which I am, by the way, professional holy person, To go out and hire them and say, okay, He's going to do the work of ministry is to bring tears to the eyes of your Savior. He has hired you. He's engaged you. He wants you equipped. He wants you out there. I can't do everything. Not only can't I, I don't want to. I want to spend some time with my fig trees and my other stuff in my garden. So people have got to cooperate in order to accomplish the mission. One person can't do it. You can't hire professional clergy. It's every one of you is engaged to be a sent one. One who is ordained to be sent into the world. And we've been repeating week after week, where you are sent is where you live, where you work, and where you play. Everywhere you go, your life and the words of your the 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 whole of you, is to embody the Gospel. Even when you say a bad word. You're on the soccer field, your kids are playing soccer, and the referee makes a bad call, and you cannot contain it anymore, and you let fly. With some bad word. At that moment, people are going to see, you know, this person is supposed to be a Christian? My God, what is up with that? But then they see how you treat the mistake you made. You see, repentance, folks, listen, repentance is as big a part of the gospel as obedience. Yes? I've been saying that for 13 years, folks. Somebody say amen. 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 Obedience is a big part of the gospel, but so is repentance. In fact, Jesus said when a sinner repents, they throw a party in heaven. When a man is righteous, perfectly righteous, and goes to God and holds out his righteousness and says, look at how righteous I have been. I have done everything perfectly. The Lord says to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've only done what is required. How do you like that? He doesn't pat you on the back and say, oh boy, what a great job you've done. I'm really (laughs) impressed. Listen folks, he saw... The best. So don't ever go to Him and say, Look how well I'm doing. Rather go to Him and say, Look how well you're doing in me. Both obedience and repentance. Repentance is not plan A or plan B. Repentance is plan A and so is obedience plan A. They're all plan A. God doesn't have a plan B. So, the summary and the purpose, the vision, the mission, the core values, everything that Jesus Christ was about, everything. If you can imagine someone as complex as Jesus reducing his entire vision, mission, core values, very purpose for existing, he did it in just a few words, and here they are my food is to do the will of Him who sent me and accomplish His work." Wow! What genius! What amazing passion and compassion. Beautiful, highly emotive. You can just feel Jesus' movement inside of His soul, His, his very appetite He mentions doing the will of God, and finishing His work. And so why are we committed? Why is Christ the King committed? Why did we include this in our mission statement? And frankly, I think we included it, and I know we included it, because we believe that God is at work. Do you believe that He's working today? Sometimes it doesn't look like He is, but... Do you believe He's at work today? Even as crazy as our culture is getting with transgender bathrooms and all the rest of that stuff. You know, Christians are wringing their hands over all these things. And I don't want our church, as your pastor, I don't want our church to be a hand-wringing and whiny church. Amen? Amen? Or do you all want to whine and complain? Okay, good. No, we don't want to be one of those whiny and complaining church. Oh, well, poor us, poor us. You know, we're not going to get the candidate we want. We're not going to get the government. We're not going to get the Supreme Court we want. Ma, ma, ma. Cry, cry, cry. You know what? Look at, read your Bible, folks. Very few of the stories in the Bible, things were going well. You wouldn't even have a Bible. You'd have a comic book. If all we had were the good and the successful and all the good stuff going on. We live in a broken and hurting world and it is in a mess. And we are called to be sent to that world, to go get in the mess with that world, to go do something about that world without being angry and judgmental and ugly people who nobody wants to be around. I don't even want to be around those people. And I'm one of them. So why in the world... Uh, would we talk about this? Because we are sent people. The expectation is that God is at work and that we are joining Him in this work. Working as it's the difference between participating and spectating. And there's not a person in this room, especially the men, who wouldn't love to be the quarterback rather than just the couch quarterback. I mean, in our heart of hearts, guys, don't we really want to be on the playing field and, and actually be doing it? What we find vicariously through sports, uh, some identity. But that's true of all human beings. Participating or just watching. And Christ the King is a participating church. So listen to what Matthew Henry said, and then we'll jump in this and we'll go quickly. Those, listen, this is profound. Those who would assist others in their correspondence with God. In other words, he's saying those. if you're going to help somebody have a relationship, he uses the word correspondence, but he's not talking about sending them a letter. He's talking about engaging them in a relationship. Those that would assist others in their correspondence or relationship with God must not themselves be strangers to it. In other words, how in the world are you going to talk to people about a relationship with God when you don't have one yourself. But I trust that everyone in this room, at some level, Jesus Christ has touched you, perhaps profoundly. I know he, he touched my life profoundly. I still have not gotten over it. I have times, I have seasons when I'm cold and I'm not excited about what He's doing. But when I give it some thought, especially when I'm suffering... He rises to the surface and I can't get over Him. And I hope that's true for many of you where you, when you give yourself some time of reflection, put the phone away, don't look at the blue screen, don't listen to the music, just get quiet and listen and think of the vision that rises up in front of your face. Why do you have hope? Why? And if you see the face of Jesus reflecting back to you, that will change you. And that will create passion in you. Those that would assist others in their correspondence with God must not themselves be strangers to it. For how can we expect that God should speak by us if we have never heard Him speaking to us? Matthew Henry is talking about a relationship. How can you expect to commend someone who you barely know. And so a mature and equipped believer, which I think our church does well at that, we have a lot of programs involved in that, is preparing you for a good. It's not just taking it in and getting all this theological and Reformed people are notoriously for wanting to pack a lot of theological knowledge into their head and then just stew in it. Well, good luck with that. There's a certain odor that comes from those people. Have you ever noticed the I am? Have you smelled it? I've smelled it. It's pretty terrible. I check myself sometimes, you know, oh my God. They just want all this theology, but they don't want to do anything with it, other than perhaps crush somebody, but draw them to Jesus, use the richness of our theology to show them the beauty of our Savior. That's what I'm talking about, and that's what we need to concentrate on our relationship with God, listen to this, is directly correlated to our passion for sending and being sent. There's an element of sending, which Gary prayed about beautifully in his prayer, about all the things that we support. And for a small church, folks, we support a lot of things, financially and otherwise. But also being sent. Do you see yourself as a sent person? person, whether it's to Monta Vista as Scott talked about, whether it's to far from Kenya or Armenia, wherever you're going, or is it just in your local little world? Are you a husband who sees himself as sent to his wife and children? Are you a wife who sees herself sent to her husband and her children? Are you a worker who sees himself sent to a company to do them good? Not just share the Gospel, that for sure, but also to do good work, excellent work, productive work. Do you see yourself as a sent person to a playground where your kids are playing so that you can be salt and light to all the other people around you? Do you see yourself that way? We have to, we must. So let me give you three things that will help us develop that kind of zeal. And I'll go through them quickly, but listen to these three things. These will help you. Jesus had, first of all, a singular appetite. In other words, the controlling thing was His appetite. The thing that controlled Him was singular. Secondly, Jesus had a sense of mission. Like I I would love for our military folks to share with us some of the training they have got in that sense of mission. Given the mission by the commander and you go and you execute. And you do it until it's done. Sometimes at the cost of their own lives. And this is no different, folks. Jesus said, if you're not willing to lay down your life, don't bother picking up the plow and following me. Don't bother. Because it's going to cost you. And there are churches all over El Paso this morning that are telling their congregations it's not going to cost you. And people are one, oh, oh, I love that. I love that Gospel. It's not going to cost me. In fact, I can be rich. But you come here, you're going to hear a different message. It's going to cost you. It's going to be painful. It's going to be uncomfortable. But you're in good company. It costs the prophets. It costs the Apostle. And ultimately it cost Jesus. And Jesus said, it's worth it. Take up your cross and follow Me. And I will make you pillars in the house of My God. How do you like that? Pillars in the house of My God. All right. And finally, a sense of urgency. A sense of urgency. An appetite, a mission, and a sense of urgency. Very quickly. The singular appetite. Verse 32 through 34 of this passage, I have food. They were talking to him. They didn't they knew he hadn't eaten. I have food to eat you don't know anything about. And they asked themselves, so you see how we can get so distracted. Has anyone brought him something to eat? They're so dull. Don't you think sometimes we're kind of dull? We don't really get what God's talking about. And they didn't understand. Jesus said, I have food to eat you don't know anything about. And the first thing their mind goes to is food. Well, I guess somebody brought him something to eat. And he has to correct them. He says, my food is to do the will of Him who sent me. And to accomplish His work. The metaphors of appetite are used throughout the Scriptures. Think about it. How powerfully controlling, you can almost not control the appetite of hunger. You can't control the appetite for thirst. It, 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 it's overwhelming, it drives us, it moves us. What about sexual appetite? I won't go into a lot of details but uh, because we have children, but there's a, there's a drive that pushes us that's very deep inside every human being. And it moves us. An appetite for approval. I mean, that's why I became a pastor. You all think I became a pastor because I was called by God. It's not it. I want your approval. That's the whole reason I do it. No, I'm kidding, of course. But only partly kidding. Or power. You know, we all want power. And power can move you to do things and say things. Unbelievable. Think about the things, the appetites that move us. Think about the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. And Edmund being offered what? What did the white witch offer Edmund that changed him completely from good... Turkish delight. delight, From being good Edmund to being bad Edmund. And it took the power of Aslan to break the power of that appetite. How did Aslan do it? He gave up his life. You see, that's what Jesus does. He comes and He addresses your appetites and He said, I'll free you from that appetite. But it's going to take me dying, and it's going to take you falling in love with me dying for you, and letting the, what Thomas Chalmers called the expulsive power of a new affection, a new love, a new appetite. Jesus had that singular appetite and He wants us to have that singular appetite for Him. And if you have an appetite for Him, you'll love what He loves, you'll hate what He hates, and you'll do what He says. And you'll go where He sends you. Go where He sends you. That's what He's talking about. The metaphors of appetite. Appetite are controllers. And He had a singular appetite and He's telling us to have a singular appetite not for missions but for the mission sender if you have an appetite for the mission sender the mi- being sent becomes the icing on the cake yes do you see it it's amazing jesus was controlled not by his bodily appetites but in an appetite for his Father, to do His will. To do His will. A singular appetite. Secondly, a sense of mission. This is 34b. This is just the end of that same sentence. To accomplish His work. You know, it's one thing, and I, I'm... I'm a little conflicted about this because I I have great ideas. I have all these big ideas, and some of you know what that's like, to have all these big ideas. And you sit there and you write them all down on paper, and you think, how in the world am I going to execute this good idea? We had a good idea of buying a million dollar building on uh, Wrestler Street. But I can tell you, and I don't want to embarrass Sal and Rick, But that building would still be sitting there empty if it weren't for those two men. You see, I had a great idea. Let's buy this building. It wasn't just my idea. It was our session's idea. But we had a great idea. But executing it, making it happen, the very fact that we might actually be moving in next week is due to some other people. Primarily Rick and Sal, and there have been others. But primarily... The execution was in someone else's I had a good idea. I was all for this. And yeah, you guys do. But they actually made it happen. What does it mean to accomplish His work? Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. In Matthew uh, chapter 9. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send workers. You see, someone has to execute. And I think we fall down on execution. We... We have great ideas. We have good intentions. But they don't often get accompanied by execution. You don't see them come to their end. And this is something that Jesus is wanting us to develop in our church and in our lives. Execution. Go. Make disciples. Baptize. Teach. These are executions. Going out and actually making it happen. And if you just go from one Bible study to another Bible study to another, and you just surround yourself with people that look like you and believe like you, and if you just do all of that, you're not going to be able to execute the mission. You're going to fall into what we call the cloister complex. You just get around. Uh, Steve Childers called it redemption and lift. Lift. You get saved, you come to Jesus, you find Jesus, you're so excited and you want to go to church and be around church people and all of a sudden you've been lifted out of the world and all you know are people who are just like you and believe just like you. Well, What's, what's the point? It's boring. But to go out into the world and face the challenges and answer the hard questions and, be, and have the courage to say to somebody, you know, that's a great question. I don't know. But let's meet next week for coffee and I'll have some answers for you. They may not satisfy, but they, I'll have some answers. And then you get online. It's the easiest thing in the world. Push Google and there it is. All the answers you need. You don't even have to get a book. There's no excuse anymore not to have good answers and they'll have good rebuttals you say okay next week we're gonna have coffee again and I'll have more answers for you do you see what's happening relationship with somebody not like you how about that now you're at the well now you're talking to the Samaritan woman now you're executing the mission that he has given us a sense of mission. An army of equipped and mature believers. Not just your pastor. Well, the pastor does all that. No, no, the pastor can't do all that. I'm too busy. I'm playing golf and having a good time. No, you all have to get involved. Everybody has to do it. When we get to 1500 Wrestler, it's going to be nuts. That place is going to need a lot of attention and the neighborhood around it is just teeming with people and every one of those people is begging to hear this gospel, you tell them this gospel, and they're going to go, You know, there's something different about that, and I want to know more. In Romans 10, uh, this is a very familiar passage, starting in verse 13, the Apostle Paul says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved." He makes a propositional statement. You know, Romans is known for its tight logic. He's really kind of tight. And I'm going to show you what he says here. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He makes a proposition. Statement of truth. Then he asks a question. Brilliant. This, this, he was a rabbi. And this guy knew how to ask questions, knew how to make propositions. He was brilliant. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Proposition. Question. How then will they call on Him whom they have not believed? Good question. How are they going to call on Him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? Do you see what He's doing? He's drawing you in with His his questions. He's opening up your propositions. He's making you think. How are they to believe on Him whom they've never heard? Next question. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are what? Sent. You see, He's talking to you. To the church. He's writing a letter to the church. He's not talking to the professional ministers. We know what we're doing. Or at least we want you to think we know what we're doing. We're sent. And you're sent. How are they going to believe? Then he gives his rationale for what he has just asked and what he's just said. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That's the rationale. Then the conclusion. But, they've not all obeyed the Gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? See, you can't talk somebody into the kingdom of God, can you? And if you go out there, if you're sent and you say, well, I'm going to try to talk people into it, you're going to fail. And you're also going to be crushed with guilt because your, your arguments aren't going to be sufficient. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit. And so to be sent, how many of you, have, how many of you believe in Jesus Christ and have the Holy Spirit in you? Well, everyone could raise their hand and say, that, yes, I'm a believer, then you have Holy Spirit in you. And if you have Holy Spirit in you, then when you go out and preach, even if it's just, I was blind, but now I see, the power of Holy Spirit is with you. And then he finishes with the proposition. Listen, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ, do you see his tight logic? He he makes a proposition. He asks a question. He gives the rationale. Then he takes you to the conclusion. And what he's saying is, you've got to execute. You have to be sent. You've got to go. You don't have to go to the Philippines. You can if you want. You don't have to go to Japan. You can if you want. If God, call. my daughter-in-law spent three years in Mongolia by herself, living in a yurt. Do you all know what a yurt is? It's one of those domey things, you know. And she lived in a yurt. She ate horse meat. That's why she gets along so well in our family, because we eat crazy stuff too. She lived over there for three years. She was sent to Mongolia, of all places, to teach English and share the Gospel when she got a chance. But he may not send you to Mongolia. I hope he doesn't. We want you to stay here. But where are you being sent? And to whom? could be just your children. You're being sent to your children, sent to your workplace. We've already talked about this. A sense of mission controls where we go, what we think about, where we're being sent. And that's what I'm talking about. We do it as a church corporately, which Gary Prady included all the Southwest Church Planning Network. You know, 15% approximately of our budget goes to missions. And that's to say nothing of some of the other things that we do that we don't actually put in our missions budget but could be characterized as mission. This is a small church, folks, and yet we are committed to giving a substantial portion of our finances to these missions. The Southwest Church Planning Network receives the largest portion of our mission giving, almost $700 per month, we give to this one group, Southwest Church Planning Network. And do you know that the first church, guess what the first church the Southwest Church Planning Network planted in 1998? Guess who it was? It was Christ the King. A hundred percent of the funding for this church came through the network at Park City's Presbyterian Church. That's why this church exists. And since that time, we have planted over 100 churches in Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. 80% of them still survive today, which in every other scenario that I've read about, 80% fail and only 20% survive. And it's because we have put the money and the intentionality into it. We support uh, the R.C. Sproul radio program, Uh, pretty substantially. We uh, support Mexico Medical Mission, the Opportunity Center, the Rescue Center, our own Presbytery, HLI, Young Life, InterVarsity. All of these things we support. Not to say nothing of the outreach of our local church. We have a diaconal fund. We have the Southwest Institute. We have Journey Group. I could go on and on. All those things cost money. I myself cost an enormous amount of money. Well, you all understand, to, to do this requires resources, people with time, talent, and treasure to give to these things. And finally, the sense of urgency. I was very moved when I heard Gary pray that this morning. He had no idea what was in my sermon, did you? He had no idea. And yet, by the Holy Spirit, he prayed for a sense of urgency in our church. And that's the third point, a sense of urgency... Jesus said this, verse 35, Don't say, four months, then the harvest. In other words, he's saying, don't procrastinate. oh, so we got plenty of time. There is an urgency to the gospel. The prophet Isaiah said this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God. For He will abundantly pardon. Isaiah presents in this one verse the free offer of the Gospel to all people, everywhere. Okay? Then, next verse, God's promise of the harvest. Listen to what Isaiah goes on to say. For My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither My ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are My ways higher than your ways, My thoughts and your thoughts. Now Listen. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the To the eater, so shall my word be that which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Do you see, there is the promise of the harvest. My thoughts are, you're not going to know how any of this happens. You're not going to be able to program it. That's why our church, Christ the King, has taken a stance against program. We do not program things. We address needs and then the programs flow out of those needs. It's the opposite of what some churches do. We let programs become, become organic and holistic out of the needs of the congregation. And finally, the result Isaiah says this, You shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. You see, the end result, folks, of being sent is singular. And here it is. It is to populate the new heavens and the new earth with worshipers. Nobody is going to remember the building on 1500 Wrestler, As much as I love the building, it blows me away that we have even got this building. But in the end, folks, nobody's going to remember 1500 Wrestler, but they'll remember you. And when they see you in the new heavens and the new earth, they're going to run up and they're going to fall on the ground and kiss your feet and say, thank you. For telling me about Jesus. And then they're going to get up and grab you by the hand and run towards the throne. Wow, thank you. They're going to remember you. And we can never get our eyes on things. We must keep our eyes on the One who brought us. The One who met us at the well. The motive, folks, for our being sent. The very motive for it is found in Hebrews, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Listen to this and I'll be done. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. There's your proposition. It's impossible. Consequently, now hear this. When Christ came into the world, He said this. This was what He said. This was His gospel. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Jesus said, Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will. O God, as it is written in me, in the scroll of the book Jesus saw himself as a sent man a man sent into the world where the blood of bulls and goats were never able to accomplish the wiping away of sin and yet it was going to take a life it was going to take blood to remove that sin and he said therefore i will do what you say give me a body I will go and I, of my own free will, with no coercion whatsoever, will climb that tree and hang myself on a cross. Don't think the Romans killed Jesus and don't think the Jews killed Jesus. He killed Himself, not suicidally, but out of love for you and me. He could at any moment have called the legions of heaven down to rescue Him and instead He said, I will go. You have prepared a body for me. The burnt sacrifices and the offerings did not work. Therefore, I will go. I will accomplish Your will. For God so loved the world, He gave His Son. That's the motive for being sent. Why? Because He was sent to you and I. We wouldn't even be here today. We wouldn't even have... We, we might belong to some other crazy religion, but he was sent to you, sent to me, and for that we are eternally grateful. Will you believe him? Will you trust him? Will you be sent? I hope you will. Let's pray. Father, uh, we're so very grateful that in your love for us and your compassion for us, you did not spare your son, but sent him into the world to save us to rescue us from the brokenness of our own sin. And he willingly climbed that cross for us. I lay down my life for the sheep, he said. Lord Jesus, I pray with all my heart that you would create in each of us uh, that sense of urgency, that sense of mission, and that sense of being sent into this world wherever we live, work, and play. Help us, Father, to do it, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.